Humanly speaking, of course, when our Lord was on earth, Rome ran the show. And Rome ran the show with a heavy-handed exacting of their laws, not afraid to sentence those guilty to capital punishment on the cruel cross. Overall, the empire probably crucified hundreds of thousands of crucifixions. Rome crucified 6,000 persons alone on one day in the aftermath of Spartacus' rebellion against Rome in 72 BC. Sometimes they had so many crucifixions in the empire that they ran temporarily out of wood. Jew Alfred Edersheim, who converted to Christ and then wrote a scholarly masterpiece of history, the book called The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. I want to quote from the book. Four soldiers would be detained for each cross, the whole being under the command of a centurion. As always, the cross was borne to the execution by him who was to suffer on it. End of quote. Of course, the scriptures tell us that another man was conscripted to carry our Lord and Savior's cross to Calvary because of the Lord's physical frailty due to hours of pre-cross torturing. Let us go on with Alfred Edersheim's quote. Ordinarily, the procession was headed by the centurion, or rather preceded by one who proclaimed the nature of the crime and carried a white wooden board on which was written the crime for which the prisoner was being crucified. So watch this with me. Typically, the herald at the head of any grim parade to any particular execution site yelled out whatever was written on the particular whiteboard for the particular victim. Each whiteboard personalized the particular crime which warranted each particular execution by crucifixion. Rapist! Murderer, revolutionary. Our Lord Jesus had a whiteboard prepared for him. And by compiling all four of the gospel accounts, Christ's whiteboard read, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And Jesus Whiteboard read that curious and crimeless way because Pilate had previously concluded that Jesus had committed no crimes at all, let alone the capital crime which would necessitate death by crucifixion. And so all that the centurion or his delegate on the parade to Golgotha was able to yell to those seeing and listening was, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. (laughs) Even the most uneducated person seeing and hearing that proclamation must have scratched their head since being a Jewish king from Nazareth was hardly a crime punishable by death, even by the crucifixion happy Romans. The standard practice once arrived at any particular execution site was to nail 
the whiteboard sign over the particular crucified person's head on the downbeam of their cross. Of course, the seasoned and brutal Roman executioners who nailed up the Lord Jesus' whiteboard sign didn't, didn't know at least two things. One, that all sins are capital crimes to God. And two, that all of our sins, all of our sins was what was really written on the Lord Jesus' whiteboard sign. As seen by the holy eyes of heaven, the only eyes that really count, our sins were written on Jesus' whiteboard sign on his cross because he was God and he was God's merciful sin substitute for us. This is so important. Let me say it again with different words. When God the Father focused on the words which were on Jesus' whiteboard sign, God the Father's eyes didn't read, this is Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. No, no, no. Instead, God the Father's eyes read a very long list of our sins, past, present, and future sins. Let that sink in, brothers and sisters. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 makes it clear that the Lord Jesus had committed no crimes, and so his whiteboard sign should have been blank. But the same verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, also makes it clear that as God the Father looked down on Jesus' whiteboard sign, he didn't see a very blank sign. No, he saw a very full sign a sign full of the world's vilest sins against God's character. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5.21. Allow me the liberty to inject some comments as I read the verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, that is God the Father, made him, that is God the Son, Jesus, who knew no sin, that is, Christ's whiteboard sign could only read, this is Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews, to be sin on our behalf, that is, to have our sins written on his whiteboard so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him. No other cross whiteboard could have our sins written on it because there is only one God-man whose crucified and shed blood is atoning for sin. Our key text this morning is Colossians 2, 13 and 14. I invite you to look at this text carefully, to not to come to it as business as usual, but fresh in wonder. Second excuse me, Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Hear the word of God. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, 
having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us and which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having canceled out all of the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, which were hostile to us. Will you please note some things from this precious verse? Number one, to have a certificate of debt, as mentioned in verse 14, means that holy God keeps track of personal sins. The Mosaic law establishes our sin debt, and the books record the sin debt for each lost person. Isn't that what Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12 teach? And I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. End of quote. To have a sin certificate debt as we do requires that God keeps track of personal sins. Second in the verse, still in verse 14, decrees against us is the thought. Decrees against us. This means that holy God is angry about sins before they are atoned for. Isn't this what John 3.36 teaches? He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life. Now watch this. But the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God was on him, and the wrath of God abides on him until he trusts Christ alone as sin substitute to be saved from those sins and their debts. Third, still in verse 14. Well, before I move to the third phrase, hostile to us, let me not rush ahead. That wrath abiding on the lost person for their sins is pre-hell. It's now. And we're pointing out that the scriptures teach that the holy God is angry about sins before they are atoned for and paid for by the blood of Christ in your account as you put faith in Christ. Isn't that what Psalm 11, excuse me, 7 verse 11 reveals? Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. That's not preached from prosperity pulpits, but it's true. A righteous judge in heaven has indignation every day over sins. And still, in verse 14, the phrase hostile to us. Do you see with me, church family, that holy God's decrees against us are not lightweight? And for the unbeliever in Christ, the Christ rejecter who hasn't run to the cross for refuge and forgiveness and cleansing, for that person... These decrees against us established by Mosaic law and kept track of in God's books are the basis of God's hostility toward the unredeemed. 
Noah's world, except his family of eight, were all drowned in the flood. Uzzah was immediately killed for touching the Ark of the Covenant. Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead on the same day for lying to the Holy Spirit. Herod the Great was eaten alive by worms in public when he wouldn't correct those who hailed him to be like a god. You get the point. Holy God has every right to be hostile to the person who will not accept sin remedy in the blood of Christ. Holy God has every just and righteous basis for being hostile to the person who says, no, I don't need Christ. I'll go it alone. I'm not really a sinner because think of her or think of him compared to me. Lamentations 3.22 says this, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions never fail. His compassions never fail because of the cross work and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The cross, you see, is the principal way that holy God shows us his mercies both before our conversions and after them through all of eternity in heaven. It is only to the cross of Christ that the unsaved, the unregenerate, the unbeliever in Christ should flee by faith. For it is their only hope to avoid God's righteous and just everlasting hostility against them in a literal hell. I don't know who's viewing at home online. I'm glad people are. I don't know who's in our sanctuary. I don't know your spiritual conditions. Uh, I don't know who's in the Earl Weech Auditorium. But if there be even one who hasn't come to this cross in faith, transferring trust from themselves or their religion or their church or their good deeds onto the finished work of Christ. This would be the morning that God has you to hear this message so that you would not be the continuing subject of God's hostility and anger. The way you would come into this cross and this Savior upon the cross would simply be to say, God, I'm a sinner. I admit it. And I can't clean my own life up. I've tried. But thank you that he who knew no sin, Jesus, you made to be sin. My sin was on Christ. He bore my sin, my sin bearer. And here and now, in the best way I know how, I don't know everything. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I want to put my faith and trust in Christ alone. That's what I know, God. Thank you that you said as many as received him, Christ, to them he gave the power to become children of God. Make that your prayer from your seat, from your heart. I'm a sinner. I need the Savior. I believe he died in my place on Good Friday. I believe you raised him from the dead, Father, on Resurrection Lord's Day to prove that my sins are paid for in full, that my sin debt is paid for in full by Jesus Christ's blood. Make that your prayer. 
You see, the decrees of God, which are really the infractions against God's law, are the basis of whatever hostility God deems to be appropriate. And sometimes that hostility is immediate, and other times that ultimately it's in the lake of fire. You can't want heaven until you know about a hell. You can't want a savior until you know about sins to be saved from. And so for you and me who believe in Christ, for you, the certificate of debt is settled. It's canceled out. It's taken out of the way. For you who trust Christ alone, the decrees against you are settled, canceled out, taken out of the way. For you who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, God being hostile to you is no more. It's been removed. It's been canceled out. It's been taken out of the way. Hallelujah. The judicial basis for such forgiveness is the mercy and the grace in the historical and theological facts of Christ's work on the cross plus nothing. Plus nothing. (laughs) No wonder. No wonder we call it Good Friday. Oh, yes, the phrase, the title of the message, having nailed it to the cross. Holy God, having nailed our sins to the cross, holy God is now free to take out of the way the certificate of debt and the decrees against us and the hostility toward us. Let that drink you into your heart. Because having nailed it to the cross has happened, holy God is free to take out of the way the certificate of debt, the decrees against us, and the hostility of God without compromising his holy character. That's a miracle. That's grace. And for fellow believers, those are the subtractions that having nailed it to the cross makes. But there are also, praise the Lord, there are additions for those of us who run in faith to Jesus Christ on his cross. There are additions, blessed additions, because it's been nailed to the cross very fast. God's saving and keeping grace is an addition. Regeneration to spiritual life out of spiritual deadness. Forgiveness, justification, imputed righteousness, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Sanctification, being set apart for God's possession and use. The power to say no to sin. The fruit of the Spirit. Good works which God has planned beforehand that we should walk in them. Adoption into God's forever family to a fellowship with spiritual brothers and sisters here on earth and forever in glory. Additions, additions, additions because it's having been nailed to the cross. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed Blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's where all your spiritual blessings are. Not in you. In Christ. In Christ. And those spiritual blessings were made possible the first Good Friday When Jesus Christ willingly went to that cross, not as a victim, but as a volunteer, and let them nail him to that cross, mock him, beat him before the cross, that's because something had to be nailed to the cross. Your sins and mine. 
And so why don't we put this message and truth into action? Because we as believers in Jesus will eternally thank the Father in heaven that your save, our Savior's one-of-a-kind crucifixion whiteboard was seen to be by the Father a complete list of our individual sins. Because we'll be doing that eternally, how about we do that now, right now, temporally? How about we thank the Lord for the Savior and the cross and the grace and the mercy and having nailed it to the cross. How about we do that right now, temporarily? How about we partake of the Lord's Supper together? And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us and which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Oh, God, our Father, May we never get over what the Lord Jesus willingly did for us. May we never trivialize or minimize our need for that salvation. And oh God, our Father, may we never hoard the message of Good Friday and the Savior of the cross to ourselves in some kind of a little holy huddle. But may we remember the perfect life of Christ in these moments and the atoning blood of Christ in these moments to get us in alignment with your will to loosen our tongues to share our faith Monday to Saturday including Sunday to yield ourselves to the revealed will of God for us in the scriptures Lord may it not be business as usual as we come to this table of memorial and remembrance. For we ask this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake, amen.